Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Danielle Moody. And I'm Mujahat Ali. And we are very excited to have yet another brilliant political mind join us to make sense of the utter nonsense that has become our political discourse and climate uh, over the last several years. So, Waj, I will allow you to do the esteemed honors. We have Robert Draper, who has been, for better or worse, writing about the Republican Party for a long, long time, and you all have to read his latest book called Weapons of Mass Delusion, When the Republican Party Lost Its Mind. It just came out, and it is a frightening and excellent book that really captures, uh, in my words, the lunacy and the danger of the modern GOP and where it's headed. In addition, he's been a writer at large for the New York Times Magazine since 2008 and a contributing writer for National Geographic magazine since 20, 2007. And his better half is Kirsten Powers, whom you have seen on TV, and somehow she tolerates him, which means he can't be that bad. <laughs> or I can. Or I can. Or she's just or can. incredibly tolerant. Uh, or or yeah, she's just so a very kind, like, divine woman who just tolerates you. She seems she sees some merit in me. I, I mean, you know, but uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to let a gift towards the mouth. Anyway, guys, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, Robert, Absolutely. I was uh, right before you came on, uh, I was telling uh, Danielle and you that uh, I really enjoyed your book, but I don't I don't really know if that's the proper word because it also terrified me. Uh, and it's like it was great. But oh, my God, uh, because you have spent time with your reporting, really doing these profiles of some of these individuals that Danielle and I have tried our best to warn Americans about people like Paul Gosar, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, people like Matt Gates. Um, and, you know, I want to, you know, we're talking about the aftermath of the elections right now and what's happening. You know, Donald Trump has already announced his presidency, what's going to happen in 2024. But I want to take the DeLorean back because you actually open up your book with a really moving uh, small portrait to your father, whom you dedicated this book to. And you say your father was like old school dude, Republican, conservative, Marine, salt of the earth, honest man, good man, paid his taxes, law and order. You know, voted Republican his entire life. But on his deathbed, you know, he said, we have to make sure that Donald Trump loses. This man's a liar. And, and what I want to ask you is, 
you know, many people are saying that Donald Trump hijacked the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. Others are saying he revealed the Republican Party. You've been following this party. You've been writing about this party. What's your take? Is this a different beast than what your father, you know, voted for his entire life? Or is this something that was always lurking and has now just gone on steroids? Sure. Well, to go back to the hijacked plane metaphor watch, um, that metaphor is problematic because it presupposes first that um, the vessel itself bore no responsibility of any kind mm -hmm. for it being hijacked. Mm. And secondly, that it was a perfectly healthy flying vessel um, uh, you know, before all this occurred. Neither is true. And uh, uh, so there, there, it's certainly true that, that um, Trump exposed and exploited uh, and put on steroids um, some pre-existing elements of the Republican Party. Um, having said all of that, and using my father as you know an example, I mean there, there were some critical distinctions between the party then and the party now. My dad, you know, among other things, um, believed in you know the basic, the holy trinity of of uh, of um, small government, low taxes, personal responsibility. But the personal responsibility I would focus on in particular, because that meant to him, among other things, that you um, don't blame other people for your plight, that um, uh, that you don't um, embrace your status as victim, you don't point fingers, and most of all, you don't demonize anybody, you know, anybody who believes differently than you. Had that been the case, um, he would not have been happily married for 64 years to my mother, um, who was a lifelong Democrat and who cheerfully canceled out his vote every election cycle. And, and uh, so, you know, the uh, the Republican Party that I was exposed to as a kid um, was a party far from perfect, uh, plenty of flaws I could name. One that was essentially tolerant, um, one that um, uh, did not, um, uh, you know, had a healthy suspicion of authority figures, but that also would include anyone who might resemble uh, a, a personality cult. Uh, and, and so to him, Trump was um, offensive on multiple levels. Uh, but I think primarily, Republicans have often thought of themselves as, you know, a, a reality-based party. And, and uh, we could put to the side just for a moment as a subject of um, my previous book about Bush's decision to invade Iraq and the um, crazy, you know, decision making that went into that, and and nonetheless say that um, to champion someone who is a habitual liar like mm -hmm. um, Donald Trump just seemed beyond the pale to him, and uh, uh, and to foment hate the way he did, um, to uh, willfully divide uh, all all of these sentiments led my father on his literal deathbed, as you're mentioning, watch just to. Um, uh, to say that he believed that um, Trump was destructive towards the party, destructive towards America, towards the world, and that his hope, his dying hope, was mm. that Joe Biden would get the nomination um, because he believed Biden was the only one capable of defeating Trump, which he believed was absolutely an absolute necessity. You know, I, I so appreciate you laying out kind of your family history, right? Because I think that this is this is what a lot of people you know, Donald Trump had us have to understand our communities better, our families better because of the divisive nature that he came into um, into our our under into the political world with. 
The thing that I want to understand, though, about the Republican Party, which you clearly understand from the inside out, and I think that many people are still trying to grapple with and how we stay kind of as deer in headlights in the media uh, as it pertains to Donald Trump, still trying to figure out how do we cover an announcement of a twice impeached man that is under criminal investigation on in multiple states with the federal government and all these things. But how do you go from a party of a war hero, John McCain, mm. of legacy like Mitt Romney, legacy again of the Bushes, right? Um, for all of their faults, which there were many, I, I fault uh, in many ways John McCain for even bringing uh, for Donald Trump because without Sarah Palin uh, kind of softening the blow, I don't think that Donald Trump would have had the pathway that he no. did. But aside from aside from their own uh, flaws that they had, how does a party go from, like you said, one oriented around their reality to one that is oriented around reality TV? Yeah. How yeah, do you go? How, I mean, how do you go from one mm. that was based around uh, political and policy ideology, right, where we were having those conversations and debates to one that is uh, uh, about salaciousness and and consistent um, and consistent scandal. Yeah, no, that's a terrific question, Danielle. And I think that the the answer is kind of a two part answer, and part of it has to do with George W. Bush, and part of it has to do with the party after Bush. The part that has to do with George W. Bush, I actually referenced a couple of minutes ago, which was the disastrous decision to invade Iraq, and that was um, the Bush administration we should remember, um, was uh, really, you know, kind of the the Republican version of JFK's best and the brightest. It was, objectively speaking, a very, very experienced lineup of people who, despite that expertise, and in some ways because of that expertise, because of their own biases born out of their previous experiences, um, led helped lead Bush down this disastrous path. What that did was, in a way, um, uh, that that was a, a predicate for the death of expertise, and that allowed mm. a, a celebrity, um, uh, you know, a, a reality TV show celebrity like Donald Trump to say, "See what expertise got you? It got mm. you a foreign policy disaster, and created a permission structure um, uh, for someone like Trump to step into the fray." The other half of this was post Bush, and what happened post Bush was the Republican Party lost. They lost a couple of they lost a couple of election cycles, and the desire to win. Um, led them, I think, in part to um, consider the pathway that Donald Trump offered. It was not the pathway uh, post-Romney defeat um, that the Republican National Committee was considering, the whole big tent, you know, growth and opportunity project of, you know, let's reach out to people of color, let's re reach out to young people, let's try to become less scary, you know, to women. Uh, Trump offered... Um, a much easier proposition, which was we don't have to get people who dislike us to like us. Let's get the people who like us to love us. Let's demonize the others, you know, that uh, who don't like us. Mm -hmm. uh, um, let's call them, you know, uh, unpatriotic or whatever, and um, and excite our base. And if all else fails and we actually lose by the numbers, we'll say we won, and then the other side um, stole it from us. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. 
Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Wow. Uh, you know, it's 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 a situation I think you kind of capture in your opening chapter because you could have chosen several personalities to open the book with. But I was pleased. And this is a very strange thing to say, because this person is so odious. You chose to open with Dr. Paul Gosar, Republican representative from Arizona. I've been writing about him. We've been talking about him. And it still amazes me that the media just does not care about him. I mean, just a quick reference for those who are listening that Paul Gosar just recently on camera was caught uh, praising someone who said, Oh, uh, you know, we shot at immigrants and he encouraged them. This is the same man who promoted memes of violence against AOC, his fellow colleague. This is the same man who along with Marjorie Taylor Greene, just a few months ago, openly spoke at white nationalist and anti-Semite Nick Fuentes's conference. And he doubled down on it and he's still in good standing. And the decision to open the book with a profile of him. Why him, Robert? Yeah, I couldn't resist. I mean, uh, uh, thanks, Watch. Um, you can see Gosar as a far-right version of Jimmy Stewart, right? This this guy who's like this sort of bland figure. Poor Jimmy Stewart, um, man. What did Jimmy Stewart do to deserve <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. I, I, his 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 uh, his uh, heirs are going to be funding me, I'm sure. Um, but uh, but this guy who's like an utterly unremarkable figure, who nonetheless. Um, let the, you know, the, the sort of pick your metaphors. We'll go with um, uh, Mrs. O'Leary's cow. Let's say, you know, kicked over the pail by um, when November 3rd didn't, uh, 2020 didn't turn out as planned. And um, uh, Trump yelled that the election was stolen. Paul Gosar, this obscure right wing congressman from Arizona, proceeded to host the first Stop the Steal rally in Phoenix, Arizona, and others subsequent to it, which led then to. Um, nationwide Stop the Steel rallies. Then Gosar became the first congressman in American history to team with a U.S. senator to challenge the electoral results, to to object to the certification of the state of Arizona. And so, and that was Ted Cruz, a, right? 
Right. That was Ted Cruz. And so so he gets us into the story that way. But he became interesting to me along the way for a couple of other reasons. I mean, one of them is, as you just refer, referenced, you know, was this is a guy who has done such odious things, it has associated with and, and, and uh, embraced um, such absurd and offensive ideologies that you would think he would be consigned, you know, to the Star Wars bar of Republican politics with Steve King of Iowa and the like. Instead, um, uh, he became an object lesson in how the Republican Party has lost its ability and its will um, to to punish people like him. Why? Because the MAGA base embraces a guy like Gosar. So that's the that's one other reason. But the final reason why I was interested in Gosar was that Gosar actually, for all of his um, negative aspects, um, has tried to be from time to time a serious legislator and to pass bipartisan legislation, which led to me to the kind of thought experiment of, can you be both? Can you be a crazy um, extremist election denying um, uh, conspiratorial uh, right winger like Gosar and try to get um, uh, major bipartisan legislation done? The, the answer, the question probably answers itself, but in the reporting of it, you know, I, um, I I talk in the book about how there were these major um, works projects that ordinarily uh, Republicans and some Democrats would have signed on to. But for the Democrats, it was like, am I really going to be a co-sponsor with a guy who refuses to call Biden a legitimately elected president, literally will not call him President Biden, and instead just calls him Mr. Biden? So <clears throat> he he presents an opportunity to show um, the limitations of governance, let's say, for a guy of his ideology. You know, one of the other people, as 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 Waj was doing his opening, um, that has started out as a fringe character, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah. Fringe character. The media treated her in the same way that they initially treated Donald Trump's first run for president as a joke. Right here comes this this woman who chased down a victim, a child a victim of gun violence, right, uh, throughout Washington, D.C., who has used anti-Semitic claims of lasers being controlled by Jewish people in outer space, um, has said that Democrats at rallies and recently are trying to kill us, right, uh, to incite even more violence than that has already happened. And the media treated her and continues to treat her as a fringe part of the Republican Party. Well, now she has become one of the foremost leaders, the right hand to Kevin McCarthy, so much so that as he was doing his preliminary vote on whether or not he's going to be able to hold the gavel again, he needed Marjorie Taylor Greene in his corner. God knows what committee she's going to end up running. But my question for you, Robert, is about the media. And what is it that mainstream media got wrong and continues to get wrong about creating this uh, distance between the fringe far right and who the Republican Party is? Language like hijacked, hostage, will the real Republicans stand up, right? As if we're doing it, we're looking around for Slim Shady. And I'm just like wondering, you know, is it we created this distance? And what do you think the responsibility is at this moment when someone like a Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to be leading a committee? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, Danielle, I, I mean, the bumper sticker answer to your question is um, they didn't take her seriously. Mm. And mm. They, they believed that her views were so wackadoodle that that therefore in any reasonable universe would mean that she also would be consigned with Gosar to the Star Wars bar. But the reality was that she represented a, um, a, a thought that was not just limited to this rural northwestern Georgia congressional district, but in fact was held by tens of millions of Americans who believe lots of things, not just that the election was stolen, not just that January the 6th was an Antifa or FBI setup, not just that COVID vaccines killed, but all these other you know lies relating to the great replacement theory, et cetera. I mean, there was a real constituency for that. And she was of them. And, and, uh, um, and she seemed like just someone who was um, yearning for attention. And, and, and that was the sum total of who she was. And very lengthy um, profiles of Green were written to that effect, and they utterly missed the point of her. Yes, she loves attention, but and and yes, there is an attention economy uh, that uh, in which she thrives. But she's also deadly serious about pursuing policy aims and a very very effective messenger to those people who view her as the proximate warrior to the MAGA movement and have had a yearning for a MAGA brawler ever since Trump left Washington. And he's still, you know, he's still kind of their God figure, but, but she, but she is the, she is the stand-in um, for Trump. People just did not take that seriously in the way that, as you said, they didn't take Trump seriously. And, and now, um, and, and I think some of that is a kind of group think also. And uh, 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 some of it is uh, that the media believed that reasonable Republicans got this uh, and and reasonable mm-hmm. Republicans also mm-hmm. thought they got this. But my book, and you know, this is just um, certainly not anything that I anticipated I'd be writing about, but it actually ends up tracing two opposing trajectories of two female Republicans. The downward trajectory of the single most famous female Republican in America, Liz Cheney, and the upward trajectory of this completely obscure, seemingly absolutely nuts, Georgia freshman, who now, as you say quite accurately, Danielle, is one of the most powerful Republicans in Washington. That is an unfathomable dueling arc and and says a lot about uh, the state of play of of, um, the Republican politics in the Trump era. Well, let's talk about Liz Cheney, right? Because mm. you devote a section of your book to Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney, for those of you who uh, are young heads, uh, is a Cheney. She is the daughter of Dick Cheney, who uh, we used to call Darth Vader uh, due to his evil uh, machinations during uh, the neoconservative rule and the disastrous war on terror. But she is GOP royalty, ladies and gentlemen. She used to be the number three ranking Republican. She voted with Donald Trump 93% of the time. She had political ambitions. Maybe she'd run for president, maybe vice president. And right now, she's person non grata, absolutely hated by the Republican Party. In fact, now she's straight up vouching for Hobbs instead of Lake. And maybe her her support gave uh, Katie Hobbs enough votes to win in Arizona, right? This all happened within two years because Liz Cheney said, you know, a violent insurrection that might kill me and my colleagues is a step too far. I think we should defend democracy. And for that and that alone, the Republican Party turned on her. 
And 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 it's kind of a remarkable downfall, Robert. Right? Because like, for those of us who have been through this, who are the old heads, we're like Liz Cheney sitting next to Democrats during the January sixth hearings. Like what? And being yeah. seen as a conspiratorial left wing puppet of George Soros by the right wing. Like this is a a Star Wars, like a, a, a hopefully mm-hmm. a deleted scene from Star Wars that you never <laughs> think would actually see the, the light of day. What does that tell us about? the future of the Republican Party as we stand right here in 2022, right? Because there was an audit of the Republican Party after McCain and Romney lost. They knew that they had to court Latinos and women and people of color. And instead they said, no, we're going to double down. We're going to go Sarah Palin, Tea Party, hate monger, Mm -hmm. conspiracy theories, Donald Trump. Now there's a January, (laughs) 2020 insurrection. Nope, still with Trump. 2022, should have been a red wave. The only question we should have asked is, how big will this red wave be? And instead, it's this, I mean, it defies history because they were so extreme. And even now, they're like, no, no, we're going to pivot to DeSantis or maybe Trump. So with that, and specifically what happened to Cheney in the last year alone, what does this say about the future trajectory of any Republican who decides that they want to be patriots and put country first before GOP, Trump, or DeSantis? Yeah, sure. That um, watch a couple of things. One is that the messenger uh, for the Republican Party that Danielle and I were just talking about, Marjorie Taylor Greene, that messenger used to be Liz Cheney. I mean, Mm -hmm. even before she held office, I remember watching her on the Sunday TV shows and she was beyond formidable. You know, it was evident that this was a person who, leaving aside whatever you think of her, her worldview, um, was just extremely poised and effective. And the understanding was that the sky was the limit for her, um, that really she um, she could be Speaker of the House. She could be Senator if she wanted. She could be Vice President. She could perhaps even be President. Uh, Kevin McCarthy once was asked, and McCarthy recognized that she was going to be a competitor in the House hierarchy. He was asked at a public event um, uh, what um, uh, uh, what he thought of some of the other stars in the Republican Party, and he volunteered the name Liz Cheney, but then said, I think she'd be a great Secretary of Defense, which is his way of like moving her out of his constellation. But, you know, now what has happened is that, you know, for for Democrats and for K Street Republicans, um, Cheney has emerged as, a you know, especially for Democrats, a very unlikely hero. But for a lot of, um, for most Republican office holders, she's actually a cautionary tale. You know, their view is that's what happens when you stand up. You know, that's what happens when you defy Trump, when you when you defy Trumpism, you get the Liz Cheney treatment. Mm. You know, we don't see that, that um, oh, you know, that, that uh, she's adored by the left. I, we're not sure what the end game is of that. All we know is she got primaried. She ain't in office anymore. And there is no yep. constituency for her in the Republican Party should she want to run for president in 2024. Flash forward to, you know, the midterms now. And, yeah, it's possible, as you say, that, that she played some kind of um, a validating role for Katie Hobbs. Uh, and uh, uh, certainly they had, you know, she had her little um, quip, her thank you, or you're welcome, <laughs> Carrie Lake. Tweet, and yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah, but you know, the, we're, we're still left with a party that, I mean, 
even the kinder, gentler version of Donald Trump that some people are shaping Ron DeSantis out to be is still not us, not us, Robert. Yeah, right, not here. I didn't think as much, but I also think that this is you know chapter thirty-eight or so of wishful thinking that Donald Trump has finally you know that that the curtains are finally closing down on Donald Trump. I mean, we have seen this so many times before. The reality is that. Trump leaves the stage when the MAGA base leaves him. And mm. and thus far, the evidence is far from convincing to me that that has happened. He still, you know, I, it may well be that, that the base will feel the same way that a lot of Republican political professionals feel. We're tired of losing. We'd like to win. The truth is, <clears throat> my hypothesis has been that the MAGA base, in a sense, knows that they are already losing their country. What they want is a fighter. The, the outcome to them is not nearly as important as the performance as, and, and, and as the appearance of, of being on their side and of sharing the same enemy and calling out and kicking sand in the eyes of, of those enemies, you know, the mainstream media, the liberal Democrats, et cetera. Um, uh, but, uh, but winning elections to them isn't nearly as important because the Republicans who've taken power have done very little on their behalf. So I, um, so while you can understand why Republicans would want to move on from Trump, since after all, every time the general electorate has had an opportunity to say what they feel about Donald Trump, they have rejected him every single time going back to 2016. Um, the fact is that the, the, the base of the Republican Party has always loved him. And we'll see if that changes. The evidence, again, is not yet in, but I need to be convinced. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities. Healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country. Immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun. And candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, Daniel, before you jump in real quick, I, you know, Daniel, I haven't talked about this uh, on the podcast, but I've been tweeting this since, you know, this week that Donald Trump still owns the party, in my opinion. DeSantis Mm -hmm. right now is a wet noodle, and I, 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 fool me once, right? Uh, but since 2015, each time the establishment and the money goes against Donald Trump, he has the base and they all fall in line, like Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz. So I, I, I know they're all trying to move away to DeSantis. I don't see it, Daniel. I mean, I, you know, the thing is that you have what uh, two big two of the biggest Republican billionaires have backed away from Donald Trump um, over the last two weeks. 
and have said that they're going to back DeSantis or they're looking for a next generation candidate, somebody that is thinking about the forward movement of the party as opposed to um, relitigating 2020. But my, my question, Robert, isn't so much on the forward movement of the party so much as their backward playbook of the Southern strategy mm-hmm. and racism that they weaponize in order to galvanize their base. So, you know, we can say, I can say, right, as a, as a, as a Black queer woman child of immigrants, that the Republican Party has never been a friend to people of color, has never been a friend uh, to immigrants that don't look like them, have never has never been a friend to the LGBTQ community um, as Reagan allowed for tens of thousands of people to do- perish from AIDS because he thought, you know, well, it's just the gays. Um, but this outward take off the hood, right? Get rid of the coded language open embrace of good people on both sides of white supremacy has been what they have decided to ground their ideology and ground their base in. When Hillary Clinton said in 2015, the basket of deplorables comments, she was lambasted. Well, fast forward, and I can't, I, as we watched them take siege to the Capitol building, I mean, I thought of other names to call them, but deplorable definitely was warranted. So if their embrace of white supremacy has become a part of their framework, what is the future hmm. in terms of also their relationship and embrace of fascism and authoritarianism look like for America. Now, in this midterm election, we, by the skin of our teeth, and I don't want to say the skin of our teeth because it was historic. People did turn out. More people than ever have voted in a midterm election. Generation Z turned out in mass. And for that, we staved off fascism this time around. But I'm wondering what the future continues to look like when there's no backing down. And as a matter of fact, the whole ideology is based in going backwards. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Danielle, I mean, I think that, that, you know, Trump did not create, but rather awakened and stimulated a pre-existing appetite um, that that has its basis in racial and cultural grievance without question. That was at first um, swaddled in economic close in 2009 and 2010 in the Tea Party movement when it was about to leaving our children in debt, et cetera. But, um, you know, uh, it's it's clear, and I actually now really have myself a desire to go back to the period of 2008 and 2009 because the the depth and the intensity um, uh, of of um, vitriol and animus that attended the election of America's first black president mm. was something that I failed to appreciate. Again, in terms of its depth, I knew it existed, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but that. And, you know, Trump essentially held up the mirror to America in 2015 Mm. and 2016 when he said in that speech on June the 16th, 2015, Mexico is not sending us their best. They're sending us their rapists, their, you know, their their drug dealers, their murderers. And um, so many people, you know, uh, you know, gasped in horror. And he immediately vaulted to the top of um, of of the approval charts among Republican aspirants and stayed there all the way to the end. So to your question of where, what the future is, 
The concern that I have is that the Republican, that any Republican politician will see that Harvey Dent, the author of the Southern Strategy, um, uh, that that he yet lives, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, and and that that playbook remains a far remains an effective one among the base. I mean, again, you know, Gosar went by the way to see the um, you know the white supremacy group, the uh, uh, America First Pack, by uh, headed by Nick Fuentes, not out of any particular love for Fuentes, but because that was a group of thousands upon thousands of, of young male conservatives who he saw as the future of the party. And, it, you know, to him, it was just a meaningless detail that they were, you know, deeply anti-Semitic and deeply bigoted in so many other ways. And uh, so even if you grant him that he wasn't fully aware of just what they all stood for, that he was willing to cuddle um, uh, a group yep. like that is you know, breathtaking. And, and that this, this would then be followed up by Wendy Rogers, the state Senator of, of, um, Arizona doing the same thing the next year. Um, so they're, again, they're doing it because they detect that that is a potent aspect of the Republican base. When I, again, go back to and watch, you know, flick that a few minutes ago too, the growth and opportunity project, um, after McCain and, and Romney had lost and, uh, the, um, the, the thinking behind, you know, Ryan's previous, Paul Ryan and others like them, that the Republicans just had to um, find a way to persuade people uh, that, uh, you know, to to uh, to come under their tent. And Trump saying, look, you know, screw that, you know, screw that in essence. I mean, it's um, uh, there's there's a way to get these people to love us. And the way to do that, the, the very first way is share the same enemy. Share the same enemy. And so the enemy are the people who are robbing you of your culture, the people who are taking away your jobs. And by the way, let's not even really refer to them as people. Let's other yep. the hell out of them. Let's demonize them. So and this, by the way, you know, um, adjacent topic. I mean, QAnon, I mean, it's uh, QAnon took hold amongst so many people because um, that othering was already present. The notion of uh, Democrats the media, the elite, the um, uh, government bureaucrats as being incorrigibly evil was something that was already out there. And that's the fundamental tenet of QAnon now, as this garish window dressing of pedophilia and things like that. But, but the basis of it, that, um, uh, that, that, these, that, that the opposition um, who are stripping America from you bit by bit are basically satanic, well precedes QAnon. You know, speaking about not learning their lesson or perhaps learning the lesson, you know, you fast forward 10 years from 2012 when Republicans did this audit. And a few days after getting this shellacking in the midterms, Greg Abbott, governor of Texas, who unfortunately won, decides to use dehumanizing language and declare an order to stop the invasion at the border. Uh, That just happened. He doubled down. And. You know, we use the word fascism on this podcast freely because I think Danielle and I aren't subtle. Uh, We talk about the radicalized, Mm -hmm. weaponized threat that the GOP is. And historically, yes, there's some true believers like Paul Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene, the nuts, the conspiracy theorists. But fascism and authoritarianism comes to reality because so many people step back and stay quiet. Other people court power and influence. And my final question then, to you is about, about the profile of another person who I think represents a large part of the GOP, Kevin McCarthy. 
people who know better, but people who are so driven by ambition and power and need for relevance that they stay quiet and they coddle and they normalize and they rationalize. And I, I don't know what's worse, Daniel and Robert, to be a true believer and be misinformed and support MAGA or to support MAGA and Trump when you know better. And so tell me about this segment of the GOP, the Kevin McCarthy's, who go along with it due to opportunism, and it seems like will continue to enable this. And I am also including yeah. Abbott and DeSantis and Elise Stefanik. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that you have as a means of backing into the subject of Kevin McCarthy. I'll say, by the way, in the who is worse category, just the distinctions at this level are meaningless. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, but uh, but the, worse you know, or worser. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. I mean, you know, no. So why did Greg Abbott say what he said about the invasion? It's pretty s simple to understand. All this talk about Trump and DeSantis, and we know how politically ambitious the governor of my state, Greg Abbott, is. So here he is tossing his name into the ring, in essence, yep. or throwing down the gauntlet, pick your metaphor, by basically doing this. He's trying to do a game of one-upsmanship, just as he and DeSantis were doing uh, with each other about COVID restrictions um, throughout 2020. Uh, to Kevin McCarthy. Uh, McCarthy has never been about ideology. He has always been about ambition, power, opportunism. And uh, and as a result, as you referenced, Danielle, there we see Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, yesterday or the day before, um, standing next to McCarthy when he's giving his press conference and, and Greene is by his side. It is a visible representation of how, of the proximity that McCarthy has decided to make um, with with um, with Trumpism. I mean, she is the personification of that. And of course, we saw that earlier when he went to kiss the ring in late January of 2021, just three weeks after January the 6th. Uh, McCarthy is doing this because he believes that he cannot hold the gavel, the Republicans cannot gain and maintain power without uh, the base. Uh, and that means placating Trump. That means placating his proximate warriors like Green and Gates and others. And, and, uh, uh, and, and you know, it, it begs a question uh, if, you know, um, where does this end? If you're like some mm -hmm. so-called adult in the room Republicans who allegedly who don't. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who don't who don't approve of, of Trumpism, want it to go away, but also um, make the excuse that if they stand up against it, they'll get the Liz Cheney treatment. Hence the, you know, the, um, the cautionary tale that I was referencing before. But, but they do not have um, a real game plan for how all of this ends, um, how the dragon eats itself. You know? and, and, but that's essentially what they're predicating this on. And McCarthy, in the meantime, doesn't, uh, actually does not describe with a great deal of distaste uh, Trump and Trumpism. He's always believed that he can manage it. He's always believed that, um, uh, that this is just part of the ride. And, uh, uh, but there's no question that at numerous opportunities where McCarthy could have taken a stand, after all, as my book reports, there is McCarthy on the afternoon of January the 6th screaming to Donald Trump on the telephone about the rioters. They're fucking trying to kill me. And then, yep. you know, three weeks later, going to bend the knee, you know, to Trump. I mean, it's it, so many opportunities he has chosen uh, to, um, uh, to be an opportunist uh, for the sake of power. And yeah, you know, it's, um, you don't have to look too far back and I don't have to make too many obvious citations in history to recognize 
um, you know, how authoritarianism is enabled by people like this who find opportunity, whether it's economic or political or otherwise. You know, Robert, I, I don't <laughs> I don't know mm. if, in fact, we dodged a bullet, if we slowed it down or, you know, or 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 if we're just still standing in the way of it at this point. But I think that your book for for readers really lays out the danger, really mm. makes it lays bare what, you know, we have been saying, what we say on this show, what other people have said, but mainstream media has kind of ignored because ratings, ratings, ratings. Um, but the reality is, is that they have weaponized delusion. They have weaponized fear. They have weaponized hate. Um, they have weaponized lies to the extent that I don't think that we are ever going to see um, the old Republican Party. I guess my assumption is that this is here to stay. Um, and this is kind of what what your what your book lays out. I just want to thank you so much for an incredible conversation and incredible writing. Folks, the book is Weapons of Mass Delusion when the Republican Party, when the Republican Party lost its mind. Folks, thank you for listening to Democracy-ish. I'm Danielle Moody. And I'm Wajahat the League. And we will be back next week. If, in fact, we have a country left, inshallah. <laughs>